You are listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast. And despite what the title may lead you to believe, this is a podcast about the joys and challenges of being a professional PHP developer. Your hosts are three passionate developers who make a living coding and who live stream every week to discuss coding, projects, work, tech, and running a business. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Van Johnson, John Congdon, and Tom Rideout. Good Thursday afternoon. Here was episode what? 219. It is afternoon, evening, huh? Good Thursday evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's, it's night. It's 9 o'clock at night. Well, I can't say good night where we're at. We're like the entire... Okay. It's night, episode 219 of PHP Ugly. I'm your host, Eric Van Johnson, and the jerk with me is John Congdon. Why am I the jerk this time? I thought it was always Thomas. And Thomas right out. Hi, I'm not a jerk. <laughs> did, um, well, wait, we, did we start actually recording? Because I don't think I got into the other thing, did I? Yeah, you did. Zincaster? Oh, yeah, you're oh, yeah, I'm brother. I'm good. Oh, yeah. Good God. I, I love that song. It's still playing in my head. How's everybody doing? How's everybody's week? We're going to talk PHP. I'm pretty damn excited about some... Some things that have come to my attention recently, and uh, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk PHP. Let's do it. All right, I'll start. I I had a great week and a bad week all at the same time because I love testing. I I, I say it all the time. <laughs> the more I get into it, the more I love it. And recently, we started doing some more event sourcing type work. Mm-hmm. I gave a talk on event sourcing last year, and I'm still lost, and it's driving me nuts. Really? You're still... Yeah. Because you seem like at one point you had a pretty good handle on it. And I still have a handle on it. It's more of, there's there's no, like, go do it this way. There's, like, it's a paradigm shift in your thinking, and we're not doing it, like, pure event sourcing code, or event sourcing style. It's more Mm -hmm. of kind of crowbarred in because we want to use it and there there are benefits to it. So we I'm take basically taking a piece of the system that already exists and I'm trying to event source it. So I, I'm using event sourcing and getting a little bit lost as I'm coding it. So you, you say paradigm shift, but I always see, I, I always saw event sourcing as just an additional layer of, uh, of whatever you're using. So if you're going to do it properly, you should be doing DDD, which we're not doing. And like I said, it's more crowbarring it into an existing application versus building it from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So if this was a completely new module or feature of the code, that's one thing. But it's like this feature already exists. So I'm trying to take that, put event sourcing in front of it so that when we project from the event store, everything else continues to work. So it's basically just removing the inserts and updates and then getting event sourcing in there that will do those pieces, do the the CQ part of it, and then leaving the model that's there as a read-only model. Should, should we... I, I always forget this piece, and I'm open to input from you guys, but when we talk about things like this, we take for granted that we've had this conversation over and over again, especially on the podcast. Should we take a moment and like explain what event sourcing is to people who might be tuning in? Or no, they don't. If they don't know, no, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always kind of torn on that idea, you know. No, we should. Uh, so, give us the 10 second version. Can it be 30? 
pitch. You're down to six seconds. So <laughs> event sourcing in a nutshell is everything becomes an event. So you're not coding. You shouldn't be thinking about your data model because that can change drastically over time. Event sourcing is some event happened. When it comes to user registration, you have a user, a user has registered. That is an event that contains some data. Then you have another event. User has changed password, contains other data. User has updated email address. So as you get these like blocks of events for what they call an aggregate route, which in a user registration case is a user, you apply those events. Now you have a new user model. If you're curious why you would do something like event sourcing, this is this is a great model, first off, uh, especially if you don't always know what sort of data you need or what sort of metrics you need for the audience you're, you're trying to provide a service for. So what this does is it allows you to take any point in time and kind of restructure everything that happened at that point in time. So where, Even where, beyond where that, you, there's so much more, but good. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where you might look at a row in a database and you see all the data for that row there, that data might've changed several times over the months and how it changed from one thing to another thing and why it changed like that. These are all, this is all information, especially as your application grows and as your business grows, this is first thing, very valuable information to have, but sec- second, it becomes relevant information. It's like, okay, well, how did data get in this state? And you can actually look at it and find find out how data got into a certain state. So event sourcing is an extremely, extremely powerful tool. I, I mean, the extreme case that they show is that you can literally rebuild your database from event sourcing. So if, if you have a if you have your events in another location. You can actually build all the data, rebuild all the data in your database, assuming everything's been event sourced through running through these. Uh, I think they're called projector projecting, right? Projections. Or, yeah, you take your events. Yeah. You take your events. You run them through a projector, or, which basically plays those events again and does something with them. So, in a projection, like what we're doing is the your your insert or your update is an event. And then you just write that to your MySQL. And because we're, we want to keep the current model, we're just going to project as if nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. But the beauty, the beauty part, beautiful part, the nice part, boy, I cannot speak tonight. You can replay these events, maybe not to MySQL, but you replay them to Elasticsearch for something completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I gave the talk last year, one of the examples was an e-commerce site was doing this, not with the intention of getting this information out, but when you added an item to your cart, it was an event. When you removed an item from your a cart, that was another event. So add item A, remove item A. You now have no, your cart is empty, but they still have both of those events. So as somebody's shopping, it might be add item A, B, C, remove B, check out for items A and C. Years later, they started wondering, what happens when somebody removes an item? What does that do to my analytics? Are they more likely to buy that again in the in the future? How long does it take somebody that's removed an item to buy it again? If they removed item B, did they add item C to get it? So when you start looking through all of those that data again, you can say, 
oh, I, I have so much more information than I thought I had. So it's just, it's a way of keeping everything that happens and then being able to look at it different ways in the future. Just kind of bringing it back to the challenge you have now is it's not as easy as just capturing an event and storing an event somewhere. There's a whole workflow that that is involved with that and it's a little it gets a little challenging to understand how to fit that stuff in especially when you're talking about legacy code because you don't have that fresh starting point you've got to say okay right on this date this is what my data looks like yes and no so what we're not doing is going and retrofitting previous data in the goal is to get the event sourcing piece in place now and start collecting the events and not necessarily try to get all the previous data into a point. And that's another reason for not changing the existing data structure. This is more as we move into the future, there's going to be uh, additional features of the system and then trying to say, okay, if something happens over here or something happens over here, we're going to unify this data and give it a, a unified report for people to look at. We're getting harassed for being too serious in chat, by the way. Oh my buttery, goodness. Buttery almost turned us off. He was like, wait a minute, got the wrong, wrong show. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> These guys are actually talking PHP. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've, you've got to get your head around that because yeah. we, need, we need somebody who has their head around it. I, it's, Ge- I think it's very important. Gishu brings up a good point. It, event sourcing is heavily used in accounting. I mean, it is a checkbook registry. It is everything, everything that happens in your bank account is an event. It's a ledger. So, yeah. Yeah. So it is, uh, yeah. it is fun. It's, I'm happy to be working on something new and I'm doing it TDD. So combining testing and event sourcing. And then just before I finished my day going out to my kids, all of a sudden one of my tests was passing. I was like, I'm like, I'm on the verge of this working the way I want it to work. And I don't want to stop, but I have to. And then I had to do this show. So I had to stop again. Damn kids get in the way of everything. Okay. Yeah. Right. How about real. you, Thomas? How was your week? <clears throat> well, I'm going to go after you actually, because my week involved reading something that's, that's going to go deep into uh, the thing we worked on earlier. So I figured oh. I'd leave it to you to go next. And then, and then we could jump right into our fun new tool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited about that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm you know, I'm at this weird stage. Uh, I told you last week that I was going to do some refactoring to Argus, um, which I, I actually ended up starting on Tuesday or Wednesday. I didn't have time over the weekend to do it like I had hoped. Um, oh, that reminds me, I need to I need to look at that code base for Evolt too. Damn, I start building up things I want to do and I keep I don't have time to get to half of them. Argus is got, is in a state right now where uh you know I think we got like one two clients on it. Um, What's Argus? Well, oh, Argus.to Thomas, do you are you not familiar with Argus.to the don't think number I've heard one of it. easiest Chrome monitoring service out there? Yeah, sure. Sounds useful. Is there oh, a free trial? Oh, like 45 days for free. <laughs> All the kids are talking about it. Every All the time kids. I hear 45 days. You know what that means, Thomas? That means you could have a job that runs once a month and it would be captured on Argus. You could you could have that job on Argus. It's uh it's there. Well, I have to so, install something on the server to do this though, right? Absolutely not. That's the what? great thing about Argus. No, there's nothing oh to God. install. There's nothing to install. We don't ask for any information. It's just a simple endpoint that you have to hit. Argus.to is the easiest crowd <laughs> monitoring service. 
Wow! But wait, there's more. Is there? What's more? I, I missed no, it. What? No, that's that's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh man. We're, we're, I'm trying to reel in the sponsors here. So show them how good we can do it. Yeah, I don't know if that helped or not. I don't. I feel like it didn't. <laughs> but uh, we we've got a you know we we were dog fooding it for a while. We opened it up to the public recently, and uh, we had a couple of people sign up. And so we're not making anything off of it. I mean, it's costing us more in, in servers now than than what we're making, but. There's like so much I want to do. Like I want to focus on it for like the next week or two. Like I started refactoring these forums. I'm like, oh, this is so much better. This is so much better. And as I shared with you last week, I'm I'm doing it in Livewire. And for the exact same reason, every time I go in there, I'm refactoring this form and I'm looking, I'm looking at it and the old data is still showing up, the old data from view. I'm like, how the hell is it still getting this? Like, where is this fucking defined i can't get it to stop showing me this one piece of data that i don't want it to show anymore but i have my live wire piece working which is which is awesome um so i just like i'm like so antsy where like this is all i want to do for like a week or two just give me like two weeks of just deep diving this and let let me work on this um so i'm fighting that temptation uh i'm fighting that because i i i do you know with covid and everything uh we've we've you know all had to kind of carry our weight i i can't bum around anymore like i used to do and i had to do i have to do some client work and actually get money for the company so that sucks (laughs) but uh but yeah i'm i uh I'm loving, I'm loving Livewire. I, I can't, I know I say it every week. I know you guys are tired of hearing it, but the more I work with Livewire, it's like, why are we just not always using this? This is so stupid that we're not using this everywhere. Like, I'm not saying never to use JavaScript. Matter of fact, that client I'm talking about has me doing some JavaScript work for them. It's this weird situation where they have this external service that they can actually create these templates through and they want to pull in stuff from a back end. So I'm like doing it in the templates through JavaScript using Alpine, which is actually a very good marriage to uh, to Livewire, uh, actually created by the same guy, Alpine JS and Livewire. So I'm actually doing a good amount of JavaScript now which I'm not a fan of. I've made it very clear. I'm not a big JavaScript person, but I'm getting my head around it more and more. Now Alpine, uh, Alpine JS has got to be, it's got to be like JavaScript for dummies because it's so, it's, it just really makes sense on how to do things. Um, but Livewire is just like, it's just blowing me away. Every time I go to do something, I'm like, this is so perfect. So I'll, I'm going to give you forms refactored. And still show, gotta show me what, yeah. Why, why you like that overview? And, yep, or I'll, I would definitely do that. Yeah, or how how Alpine compares to Vue and why you would choose that because I'm so used to Vue is not that I code in Vue, but seeing other people do it and knowing what and how Vue kind of works. Mm-hmm. It's like why why would you not just use that? So the good thing about running a company with you, John, is that we can you know code. Like you can, you can review my code. So I'm, I'm saving, I'm queuing this one up as a pull request to sit there and go through with you. So we can, I can show you the befores and afters and get your opinion on it. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter what your opinion is. 
Let's be real decision. here. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, I would like to, I would like to see what you think about it and, and, and your feelings on it. Um, because I can definitely see, like, we have other clients we're not using Livewire on. I mean, we're not using Livewire on any clients except for the ones I work on. And uh, I can definitely see, like, immediately thinking, oh, yeah, we need to start using this more. Because this actually, you know, answers more questions than it creates. No, it fixes more things than it breaks. What? No, it's good. It's a good thing. So so I'm loving Livewire. Still loving Livewire. And I'm loving coding. And I'm loving fucking coding a little bit more. And I think you have Thomas to think for this. But I just tweeted out for the show. I'm pretty sure now that JetBrains uh, PHP Storm is my everyday driver now. I was doing about a 50-50 thing with JetBrains and with Vim. Because I was, I was kind of coming back to Vim liking them a lot and then i would bounce back over to to php storm depending on what i was doing especially if i if i was trying to do things with new formats and you know looking for that little extra help from php storm but i think as of today i've i've kind of i've kind of gone over the hump here and i think i'm going to stick like if i do anything with php i'm going to stick with php storm and one of the things curious as to i'm curious as to why what did what was said that so i will let i will let i will let uh, Thomas share that, but one of the things I did because of Thomas, so Thomas shared something, and we're going to get to that here in a second, but I, I'm looking at PHP Storm, I'm like, okay, why don't I use this every day? What is it about this that I'm not liking? And it was one of the things that you complained about a lot, were, were my, uh, well, you still complain about it, you complain about it in my Vim, but I, I use uh, relative line numbering. And oh uh, god, I hate it. I love. Hate I, it, I don't. I, I. I cannot understand how you guys can hate this. It's so perfect. I don't understand why you hate it. But whatever. You guys are idiots. I've. I've come so, to <laughs> embrace that. I, I. I can. I can see relative line numbering for you. It, if I was using it personally, which I'm not, because I when I want to go up to a specific line, I can just search for text that I see on that line. I don't need to say, oh look, that's. 10 lines relative up, I can go 10 up and know where I'm at. Mm -hmm. It's more of a pain in the ass when it's more of a pain in the ass when you start pair programming with somebody and you're like, go to line 10. Oh wait, which 10 versus why wouldn't, why wouldn't you say go 10 up or 10 down? If you see the person's using relative, because you you see a 10 there that, that works until Mm -hmm. the fucker that's driving is constantly moving the cursor all over the place. And the numbers keep changing. Not that we know anyone who does that. Go there. Nope. Go. Stop. I can't tell you a number because they keep changing on me. So anyways, in my Vim, I, I would have uh, the line number I'm on and then the relative line numbers around it. So that was always good because, like, if I'm talking to John, I could say, yeah, go to line, you know, 415. Now, in Vim, as in PHP Storm, I always had that in the bottom uh, footer. I, I I don't know what you call that bottom part of the info bar at, at the bottom of your thing. Footer. So it would always it, it would always tell you what line you're on, but I, I always forgot what number that was. So I had that in PHP Storm and I had it in Vim. And Vim, I didn't worry about it because I could see whatever line my cursor was on showed me the real number. And I don't know why I didn't think about it, but I was, you know, so in PHP Storm, I, I didn't have that. I just had relative numbers. And it used to drive me crazy because I'd have to go down and say, okay, what line number is this again? Look at the bottom of my screen. All right, I'm on line 415, whatever. So I'm looking at that this afternoon. I'm like, God damn it. I'm like, how do I do this in 
Vim and I pull up my, my, uh, well, it's not a VimRC file anymore because I'm using NeoVim, but same thing, the VimRC file. I'm like, hmm, oh, that's weird. I have these two settings here that seem to offset each other, but they don't. One is set relative number and the next is set number. I'm like, hmm. So I put that in my PHP Storm because PHP Storm, where I have the Vim bindings, actually has its own version of a VimRC file, which is called an idea. idea. VimRC. VimRC. Is it idea of VimRC? Yeah, idea of so, yeah. VimRC. So I put those two settings in there. Bada bing, bada boom. I mean, my my PHP Storm, there was that, and there were a couple other little tweaks I made, but there, my PHP Storm now looks and behaves very close to what my how my Vim behaves. Yeah, barely anyone can use his PHP Storm now, which is perfect. Then this afternoon, I was introduced to a new plugin. Well, so I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. I was going over JetBrains' uh, PHP annotated blog. Every month, they just sort of give a quick breakdown of the PHP stuff that's changed, and you know what you should keep your eyes on. Uh, PHP eight, seven, four, and seven three have received security updates. Things like that. Um, the PHP documentation, which was on SVN up until last month, is now managed through Git, which is like, wow. Uh, and then they had an announcement that PHP Storm 2020.3 was released. Uh, it added support for PHP 8, PHP Stand, Psalm, Xdebug 3, Pair Programming, and Tailwind CSS. And that caught my attention. I thought, wait a second. Pair programming, that's just like a little note in your what we've added functionality. So I looked into it. As John vehemently starts typing. <laughs> <what's> <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> no, I'm curious. Uh, PHP Storm has added um, a, a new plugin. Well, a new they have a new software package called Code With Me, which has a plugin for PHP Storm that when you click on it, generates a link that you send to your pair programming partner and they get a, an IDE screen that mimics yours. You can either follow along with what they're doing, or you can browse the code base on your own completely. Uh, it has a read only mode. It has a read write mode. It has a video conferencing functionality. So everyone can turn on their mics and webcams and communicate while they're scrolling through the code together. What's it and called? It's called Code With Me. It's, it's in the plugin this? store. So it's in. It's supported in 2020.3, but it's a plugin that you have to install for PHP Storm or for, for any of their uh, IntelliJ products. And it's an official thing from JetBrains, the obscure Ukrainian company we've all learned to know. <laughs> Uh, and Eric and I tried it out this afternoon, and it was awesome. So uh, it's on the Trello board if you want to click on that there, John. No, I don't, because I'm trying Go to figure ahead. something else out. <laughs> it, it worked flawlessly between Eric and I. Uh, I just sent him... I'm 2020.3, and I'm not seeing it in my... Uh, you have plugins. to add the plugin. I'm in the plugins directory trying to find it. So code confused. with me. I, I John, try try typing in code and then a space and with and see if anything comes up. Oh yeah, I guess you need that. What well, it did and then it went away. Damn it. 
All right, I'm installing it now. Thank you. So it Here we go. It, it worked fantastically well. Uh, Eric had a small issue with it dropping his uh, IDE theme, uh, but I did not yes. have I did not have the same issue. So both both Thomas and I are on Linux machines, which I'm being told now is like saying you use Vim or saying you're a vegan. People like say it too <laughs> frequently, but I don't I don't know how else to say it. It's important. It's an important point here so on thomas's machine it worked flawlessly like he didn't lose his uh his theme everything looked normal um i don't know if if you confirm like all your plugins were still there but on my machine i was visibly in a different ide so i had my JetBrains ide or php storm open and then there was this i think what was called thomas like a JetBrains client or something yeah, something along those lines. So, so you were pairing with him. He was basically the driver in, in that, is that scenario. Is that why? Yeah, gotcha. We we don't know why that error occurred. Um, the it's not an error. It's not an or error. the issue. Um, yeah, yeah. He just he just had an unskinned IDE. Um, but I mean, the, the idea of driver and whatever really, once you're connected, goes away. You're both in the yeah. same IDE at the same time. I can see his cursor position and his changes, and he can see mine. So the the question was, and I had full control over this other instance of PHP Storm. It was basically a basic instant, uh, a basic implementation of PHP Storm, and I had plugins there. So I'm curious what what I hadn't done yet, and I can't figure out how to launch it without being in a shared session. So I might need to do that again with you thomas or john if you want to check it out but i have plugins there and I, one of the plugins i use is the sync plugin that i have through JetBrains that syncs my plugins with all the instances i have of uh php storm so i think all I, my assumption is all i have to do is enable that get all my plugins synced up to this other client and everything will be fine my biggest question is Again, back to the Vim piece. Well, my Vim bindings still work because that was the big thing with, we, if you recall, we had this pair programming discussion with VS Code about a year ago or maybe longer. And the very cool thing about that, it's very, it worked in a very similar way, but that any plugins you had on your end, everything was still accessible to you. So like for me, my Vim bindings were still accessible, even though I was, I was pair programming with somebody who doesn't have Vim bindings. It didn't impact me at all. So that that's that's my biggest question here is whether or not I still have have that. Not that it's a not that it's a um uh you know it, it it means I won't use it. It just means I have to remember that when I'm when I'm not when somebody's sharing with me, I have to remember stop hitting you know JK JK because it's driving the person on the other end crazy. <laughs> you know, to remember to to kind of move around. Why do you, why do you keep breaking my code? <laughs> so but uh, so. Th- was, Did you say this already? It was actually written. It's a plugin from JetBrains. It's not a third-party plugin, mm-hmm. so there's no cost to it. There's yeah, it's it's free from JetBrains. There's no cost, um, and you can actually, if you need to for any reason, set up a private server to host this this interchange. Um, right now, it's just going through JetBrains' server. It seems very secure, um, but if you need to run it through your own security system, you can have a server that's running the Code With Me software on it as well. Yeah, we're doing this tomorrow, Eric. 
Yeah, I'm down. It's man. very cool, and you know the the whole thing worked flawlessly it, without you know technical hiccups or re- weird connection issues or anything like that. It was just open the link, it opens up the IDE, and then you know you can mute your microphone or you can you can turn on your webcam and you can talk to each other through your IDE while you're working on stuff. And I've done this in the past with Eric a couple times and it can be very difficult, you know, if somebody numbers their lines wrong or like scrolls too quickly or you know, compresses on Skype, the shared video screen. So I, I can instantly see this as being a hugely helpful tool uh, and I'll be definitely pushing it out to the employees at my business, my office, because there's plenty of times where they say, I don't know what's going wrong. Show me you know, where it's at. And I can, all I can do is give them a line number to look at. Or, or, you, or you do the, the screen, the screen grab right here, right. The, this piece of code right here. Yeah. Right. And this sketch, sketch functionally and like pointing, it's like right there. Functionally, this is easier than taking a screen grab and pasting it into a Slack channel. Because when you start the session, it copies the URL to the clipboard for you. So, I mean, it's just, it does half the work for you. It, it, it's very responsive too. I mean, yeah. I remember with VS Code. It, I mean, VS Code. I'm sure it's gotten better. Uh, I haven't used VS Code in a while, but it was like a clunky setup. It was like, okay, okay, go here, go here. No, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta look, look for me there and, and click this. And this is just like Thomas said. I send you a link. I mean, if you have the uh, plugin installed, it launches it, and you're in sync. The the voice, the audio, and video were great. I mean, great quality. I'm very happy with it. It might just be that because nobody's using it right now, but yeah. So that was the that was the exciting thing for me from the uh, the like tiny little sentence that they had about it in the in their monthly recap. Well, they were probably trying to keep it under the radar, and we just screwed that up. Not anyway. Yeah, now millions, everybody knows. Millions of people are going to download it. Look at this. Look, <laughs> look. We got like we got 201 now. Oh wait, did I click? Yeah, two two. Oh wait, it's Twitter Twitter followers. Wait, go back. Two oh one. Wait, keeps keeps moving. Go back. Let's... Well, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you are terrible at this. <laughs> I I can't. I don't have to tell you. I'm not in control of uh, OBS anymore. So uh, we were at one ninety five last week. I'm like, hey man, wouldn't it be really cool if we can get to two hundred? We're at two oh one. Two hundred and one followers on YouTube. We're Basically up there with Harry Mack, who's at like a million and four, I think. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're closing in. Basically the same stream. 301 is the important number, but we'll get into what? that when we get there. 301 well, is when 301 is when, when YouTube starts changing their analytics. Go. No. Too uh, many people talking there. <laughs> 301 is when YouTube changes its analytics system for the channel because it's big enough to... Uh, deserve more accurate result sets is that still really because i I remember that was the case back in the day i don't know if that's still true i thought it still was i thought 301 was still the magic number there there was a a thousand is a a magic number as far as like getting like they can they might do commercials or something on your stream or something like that yeah back back in the day i think after 300 they stopped the counter like it wasn't real time anymore Right. Oh, I'm sure that's but, not the case anymore. Yeah. No, no. There, there were so many weird things way back in the day. Yeah. Well, let, 
If you're listening, please go subscribe so we can see what happens at 300. We'll sh- we'll share with you on this podcast can, what happens. You can unsubscribe after the show and after we let you know. How, just let's just do it. It'll be fun. It'll click be fun that bell. Everybody. Click that bell to be notified when we go live. You don't have to click the bell. It's not that important. <laughs> it is. Uh, important. It is important. No, you can't just click it. You have to smash it. Smash, smash it. The Break bell. that bell. Break the bell. All right. Uh, so last week we ended. Dirty. We ended talking about how I hadn't gotten to enumerations, the new RFC for enumerations, and oh, that I needed to do some research great. into it. Did you do your homework? And did you did you find the phone burner open source enum package? I did not. Oh, damn! But I did do my research, and I can tell you that it's interesting. Okay. So uh, now this is this is an RFC, right? This is just a this is not something that's been approved yet, right? This is an RFC that looks very likely to be approved. Mm-hmm. Um, the initial version of this RFC a few years ago didn't have a lot of research behind it. It just had an idea and it put the idea out there and said, "Hey, take a look." And it sort of got roundly dumped because it didn't fit with what everyone else thought of enums in other languages. Uh, this time around, the RFC has been updated to do a lot of polling of other languages, look at how RFCs are implemented, and try to make that fit into the PHP ecosystem. So it's a much more well-thought-out thing. Um, and it, it looks at Swift, Rust, and Kotlin, uh, things like that. So... It, it does. It has a lot of movement behind it in internals, and it looks like it's probably going to pass when it goes up. So, uh, what are enums? What are enumerations? What is this? Are so, this is you'd be most familiar with enums in a database where you've got a, a column that's stored as an integer, so zero, one, two, three, but it's translated by the client into a string when it's read or written. So, you would have it, a, It's also a way of having a very sp- specific result set so you can't have you can't right. have an invalid value so, yeah, I, so if i have it in my database why would i need it in well, my code thomas well, john <laughs> go ahead thomas you're talking about it because the database version sucks uh <laughs> we're going we're going back a long ways here to some of the first episodes we did together i hate database enums they are Me stupid too. And they're very um, difficult to change too, right? They're not yeah, they're not stupid. I mean they they're great for they, what they do. But... No, they're bad at what they do too. I uh, reference the old episodes, but I'm telling you, if you need to add a new enum to a table, it has to rewrite well, the yeah. entire index and it no, has I, to I, I agree. They're it's terrible if you want to change them, but or add or remove or yeah. any of that stuff. And that's all changing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't index things any better. Uh, it doesn't help with index storage or speed. And it produces type errors all over the place if you're not absolutely expecting it to be returned as a string, but set as an integer or whatever you're doing. I mean, it's, it is just the wrong place to do the thing it's doing. The right place is in the code. Now, what I do already is I have my enums uh, defined in my models as constants. So if I have a post model, I will have a post status constant that is status open 
or status accepted one, status closed two, status draft three. And that's how I'll reference status whenever I want to reference it on that model. That doesn't make it an enum. That just your that specific field is an enum at that point. Right. So we we wrote an, an open source library, and I say we somebody on the team did uh, to make an basically a enum class. So you can say I have a post type, and then that would be used by your post. And that could only be one of those three, four, five statuses. There, there is a an enum system from Spady. I'm sure you all the, know the, the, the Foamer open source one is way better. Never look at Spady stuff. It's just <laughs> <laughs> actually I don't know why why it was written in house versus using Spady's. I, I know that when they, it was being considered, there was a few looked at, and it was like just wrote one instead. And then we open sourced it recently. Buttery so is the, Buttery's being elitist in the chat room. What's Buttery say? I can't he's he's telling us, yeah, he prefers know. Rust to PHP. So we will be we will be removing him but from where the Patreon is Rust page. Really, but where is Rust Thanks. really used? I mean, you know. Anyway, so Eric, you're about to say. I, I was about to say enums sound very much like almost like a. Uh, what's the difference between an enum and like a state machine? Besides the fact that a state machine seems like it, w- it would be able to do more. That's basically, basically it. enums are designed yeah. for very specific narrow cases. Enums gotcha. are great. Okay. Enums are great when you want to pass around a type, but you don't know what that type is. I want to pass around a post status, whether it gotcha. is open, published, draft, whatever. I can just expect that enum type, and I, I know it's one of those, and then. And then you can use that in a state machine to say, I can't go from draft mm. to, or I can't go from published to something else. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So this new format replaces the word class when defining an enum with the word enum. Well, that's weird. So you would say enum suit, and then you would have your case statements for Case hearts, case diamonds, case clubs, case spades. Really? And that is the extent of it completely. There's nothing in the case statements that doesn't it Where doesn't it doesn't return anything. There's there's no definition other than the fact that it says enum at the beginning instead of class. The way so this is used through the autoloader or something? How's how's it how do you implement this is handled the same way as a singleton would be handled on a static class. So when you say uh, variable equals suit colon colon hearts, you get a hearts object, a hearts enum object back from the enum because okay. it's because it's well, an enum. It's okay. it's just it, it's its own type. It's type. Uh, it's type suit object enum, and so the the beauty is with the enum, you could have two cards, the five of diamonds and the ten of diamonds, two different objects, and you can say, are they of the same type? And it, yes, they're mm-hmm. both diamonds. So to take it one step further than that, let's say you have the five of diamonds and the ten of diamonds, and you have enums for all the numbers that a card can be as well as for all the suits. You can say, is is the instance 
of the suit the same. And it will actually triple equal the same because it's the same object. It's the enum object. It's the only instance of this enum object since it's immutable. Even so, though the values are, are different? Even if though the, one's a five and one's a So five. interestingly, if the values are different, if you're going to compare the values, they won't be the same because they are different enums. They are different instances of different objects. Now, if you had two five of diamonds that were different objects, but you wanted to know if they were the same card, then you could compare the suit and the number. And if those two objects were the same on both of your different objects, then you could say it is the same card. Well, that would be through composition, though. That If you had a suit enum and a number enum right. or a value enum, <clears throat> right. you would have a composite composition object of a card that had a suit and a value right and then you would you would have to do the magic to say whether they're the same or not so in this in this instance these are called non-scalar enums which just means that when you echo out what it is it just returns i'm an object of type enum suit diamonds in a scalar enum you can say well uh this enum evaluates to this value. So instead of case hearts, case diamonds, you would say case hearts equals H, case diamonds equals D, case clubs equals C, etc. In this case, you can have a method in the enum that when called gives you back the scalar value for the enum that you're asking it about. I'm highly annoyed that this isn't in chaste order, so I'm already counting this out, and this will not pass. <laughs> so the you can also have you know more descriptive things. If you have the color function defined in your enum suit, in your suit enum, then you can do a match on this, which is the current instance of the enum that you're inspecting, and have it return the color. So there's, <clears throat> it goes from the most simple version, which is just, you know, six lines total or five lines total for all four suits to a very extended version where it can do comparisons against itself. It can do comparisons against other enums and tell you where it sits in the line. Uh, you can do lots of different stuff, but you don't have to. Uh, and the way that this is handled is totally serializable. So you can uh, store this in your database all the ways you want to. Pretty That's a cool. lot of talk about enums. It's weird. I've been using them now for the better part of a year. And it's amazing how granular you can get with them. Like, they're great until you want to do something a little more complex. And you're like, but I want to do this. And you then it's like, but then you're breaking that paradigm. You're not doing it quite right. And it's like. But I want to. Let me do it. <laughs> yeah. Screw, and <clears throat> screw you in your enum library. I'm going to do it my way. The The nice thing about this implementation is that it supports that functionality of trying to set an enum that isn't defined. So it will throw a type exception, enum, you know, enum not found or enum doesn't exist or whatever. So you get real PHP level exceptions for trying to set something to the wrong value until this is accepted and useful check out the phone burner open source one yes that's spady slash enums on github why would you even do that <laughs> that's so mean what a, what a jackass phone no burner open kidding. source slash enum you're kicked off the show is that, is that really it how do i what is that yeah 
Boom burner yep. opens. Put it put it in the Trello board, man. I'll I'll, uh, I'll put that one in the show notes. Oh, I I just saw that it supports uh, group syntax for the case statements, so you can do enum suit and then case hearts comma diamonds comma clubs comma spades, so you can do it in in one line. It's pretty slick. So why yeah. would you ever not do that? Just yeah, you would always yes. you would always want to do that. I think. Although it's yeah, yeah for, well, it for readability, if, if you're, you're using scalar types, it's clear to have individual lines. Yeah, if you're gonna ha- if you're gonna do that extended, like hearts is H, so that when it stores in the database, it's something different. It's not like a switch statement, right? You can't do anything in the case, right? You just define the case, and that's what it is, right? Gotcha. Okay. Um, and the way I've seen this used is is following the uh, auto load system, so to try and keep things as simple as possible instead of having an enum that is uh, post status enums, you would have a directory structure that was enums slash posts slash status uh, or, or yeah. Enums slash post slash status dot PHP would be your enum definition. They're making fun of your readme, John. Yeah, it is pretty, <laughs> let me, it is pretty bad. Let me ask, since we have so, a, a few people watching, go ahead. Before you go there, this was written for an internal application. We generously made it open source and didn't include a README. So generously yeah. made it open source. Yeah, yeah. this actually, is why people actually, go to Spotty, no, John. Do you, do you really want to know why it's open source? Because it was used in the primary application, and I needed it for the little microservice that I use. And I'm like, this is stupid. I'm not just going to copy and paste it. So I made it open source <laughs> so that I could use it between the two. So. I did it selfishly. Have at it. Let me ask you a question, Tom. And yes. Why we have the people uh, watching in chat? I would totally appreciate your feedback. You've heard this conversation before in the past, and I'm going to present it to you again. Um, one of the things John and I have a discussion about a lot is for Diego Dev. I want Diego to ha- Dev to have a a open source. Um, Kind of initiative, kind of like Spotty, right? I mean, when you say Spotty, you know, there's a bunch of open source stuff associated with Spotty, right? Phone Burner here has Phone Burner open source. For Diego Dev, I, I wanted to separate out a little bit of the business commercial company from the open source place, but I wanted to show that, you know, there was a, there was a relationship there. So we have what I, I'm currently calling Diego Labs, which is meant to be something much bigger than just open source packages from from us but that's a whole whole nother story we've talked to we've talked to several people about this including my buddy oscar over at php architect who you know i asked his opinion on it about having commercial companies hosting open source packages that weren't associated to that commercial company like so like twilio has open source packages for twilio services right but twilio doesn't have or they might i don't know but twilio hosting open source package that's not related to their service kind of feels weird and uh you know oscar was kind of like you know he, he was kind of in the same camp i'm in of yeah, you know, you kind of kind of feels weird to have a, a corp, corporation or a company behind this open source package if that open source package isn't related to a service that company offers. But John makes a very good point of why would we not use that opportunity to market ourselves if we're the ones hosting it, if we're the ones managing it, if we're the ones at the initial development of it, why wouldn't we have like Diego Dev open source or something like that? And and to be clear, Spotty isn't just open source. They are a company just like 
Diego Devis. Yeah. Oh, so 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 now you're on board with Spotty. Now you think there's it's good. Okay, okay, good, good to know there, John. I, I've been all about. Way to go, Lindsey. Way to way to go, Lindsey Graham. Good good job, buddy. Hey, that's low. What's uh, what's your opinion on? on and and th- this holds true for anybody listening. Uh, if you want to type in your chat, what is your thought on that of a of a company of a commercial company hosting open source projects that aren't related to services for that open source? Uh, with that company it's well, not like an sdk that we are offering to interact with our services it's right just code that was written like oh we need so phone burners example is we need an enum package we don't like what's out there for whatever reason or, or like so we, diego dabs diego dev diego labs example we have a uuid workflow we use so we created a uuid package that's out there diego labs has open source packages that we host and they're out there. Just gonna, if we were gonna use examples, John. I don't use Laravel, so I don't know about this newfangled Diego Labs UID Laravel package. Frank, that wasn't very clear. Tom, I think it's a great, what's Tom, a great idea? <laughs> Thomas, we're still, we're still waiting for feedback from you, Thomas. So, what Buttery says, uh, but everybody knows open source is free software. People have to make how he, he was defending me. He was make he was defending me on that read me. Listen, You're way behind the times. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. I say I say buttery's on the bubble right now with me. So uh, what do we see? Uh, Roger says uh, wouldn't be weird at all. Yep, Roger's on the bubble. <laughs> I issue. <sighs> I think if you host it, then it would be related. Eh. AWS started a repo for Symphony. Really, Symphony components. It would be. Kind of, oh wait. Okay. So if AWS started hosting a repo for a Symphony component, it would be kind of weird. Yeah, I agree. Well, you say that, but I mean, Facebook open source hack. You know, like there's plenty of big companies that have had some internal tool that they've developed and then released for free. I'm sure AWS mm-hmm. has released some load balancing stuff that's free. Um, <clears throat> the Red Hat's business model is basically entirely host a free version and sell a paid version. Red Hat is, is a completely different scenario, right? They're an open source company. So. Sure. Uh, I, Zend, I give them a pass. Zend had the Zend framework, and I think that's where you can see things go bad. But the having the transparency of, hey, when Zend goes away, the Zend framework goes with it. You know, it's, it's being supported by people who are paid to support it or, you know, in, in some relationship or another. Um, so I don't I don't have any problem with having the, the company name tied to the work as long as the work is not some arbitrary thing. You know, if, if you had Diego, if you had a Diego dev GitHub that was hosting software for ebook readers i'd wonder what the hell you were doing in that market and are you going to support that but if you have your enum helpers that you wrote that you really like that's fine you know and Hmm. and people see diego devs when they're looking at it and know that yeah if diego dev goes away if i don't support them then that package is going to lose its maintainer now there's the other side of the coin you have totally open source developers who happen to work for a company You've got uh, a PHP unit, so oh, I, I can do I can do one better. The, you know, the the one that really weirds me out, and I think I, I feel like I'm getting off track. It sounds like a lot of people are siding with John, even in our chat. Uh, Roger even says host host things you think people would benefit from more exposure. So like, that that is definitely the uh, kind of 
path, John. And I'm not saying we we are severing exposure. I'm just I'm just expo- I'm giving it a different brand, which is Diego Labs instead of Diego Dev. It's Diego Labs. So it would be very clear that there's some sort of partnership there. There is a connection there. Uh, I, I think even on the GitHub uh, page, it says, you know, it, it has Diego Dev stuff in there. Um, so I'm not trying to hide the fact that it's us. I'm just trying to kind of kind of have it be it's, hey, this is our open source. This is our community. Well, so this is the whole thing. This is our community arm of the company. It was going to be, you know, the open source packages we do. The kind of user group stuff we do, STPHP. I, you know, in my head, I envision that rolling into Diego Labs. Um, you know, Diego Labs was supposed to be this community effort of you know helping people learn coding, blah blah blah. So I don't know. I still don't agree with most of you. So we'll see. <laughs> I, 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 I think John has a very valid point. I mean, why would we, why would we give up that marketing? But. Okay, I was going. I was going in a different direction, and this is one of the things that weirds me out. And to his credit, he's a freaking genius. He's an absolute genius. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it. Taylor Otwell of Laravel has people contributing to his paid products. So, like products like Nova. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're in these they're in repos where people can contribute. So people pay for these products. They pay to use these things, and then they t- contribute back to the code base. It's like guys, guys, a freaking genius, you know. Yeah, he's got, I know, he's I know exactly how to feel about that. What? How do you feel about that? I don't think that's right. I agree. I, 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 I that feels icky to me. Well, I mean, well, that's like can uh, can can you download it and use it yourself? No, without going through his services. No. Then how are the people contributing back? I'm confused. They are paying because for it, it and changing it. Yeah, it's PHP code. I mean, it's not it's not obfuscated or anything like that. Once you pay for Nova, you see the code base. You can go in there and modify things. Uh, so it's it's a you know. Oh, so they're not contributing until they pay for it. So I'm I'm giving him money, and then for the benefit of giving him money, I'm helping him make more money. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's how I how, interpret it. How how do I get on that bandwagon? Right? This is my point. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know, hey, how many people, how many of you guys are really interested in parking because, you know, we can well, use some help. <laughs> but that goes that goes back to long-held conversations about can you sell open source software? And you know, the the argument was always no. The argument was always no. If you have open source software, someone's going to take it post it on GitHub, and everyone else is going to get it for free from now on. But the licensing situation that we have on GitHub now makes it clear this is not free software. This is paid software that you get the source code to. And we don't have the same sort of million places on the internet where you can go search for something and download it as we used to. We have GitHub, GitLabs, GitVault, and uh, maybe a couple others but they're all strictly adhering to DMCA stuff. So Taylor finds out, hits a takedown notice, and it's gone. Um, so he's succeeding in selling open source, but it's never been problematic. It's never been something people don't like. And this is what very large companies do as well. If you buy the Unreal Engine, you get access to certain parts of the source code so that you can make changes to fit your game's specific needs, and you can submit those back to Unreal, and they'll say thank you, and they'll give you something for it. Um, 
it's just the I think he found people who are willing to do the work because they like the core functionality and want to extend it. And he said, okay, yeah, if you want to give me your work for free, that's fine. I'm confused on going back to his because people are talking about in chat that you generally pay for support, not the code. But for those, you don't get the code until you pay, right? For Taylor's correct. Stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's a different model. And, and Taylor never says it's open source. He doesn't say hey, this is open source software. It's, it's right. different, right? It's it's not, it's, it's, his, it's his business. And he's it's free. He's free to say it's open source. He just can't say it's GPL or, or Berkeley or whatever open source license. I mean, open source is any time you give the source code away, uh, but it's not OSS. It's not real open source. Right. The one that, that I find fascinating uh snipe it snipe it app.com from snipeyhead who i mean she's done an, a phenomenal job in her career to build a name for herself but she has an open source product i mean it's a completely mm-hmm. open source code base that mm-hmm. she's making enough money she has employees and she mm-hmm. she has an employee but- model that i really want i would love to follow as far as unlimited pay time off and st- and she actually pays people to take their vacation time. Uh, but she she weird. she actually implements the open source model. So she has mm-hmm. her software for free and then you can mm-hmm. pay her pay for her services to either implement it or host it. Like she has a version she'll host for you as well. Or if if you're right. trying to implement it yourself and you need help, her team will come in and help you uh implement. So that's that's actually that's the open source model that uh that uh Tom was referring to. Yeah, and and for hers, one of the paid features is priority feature requests, which I'm sure means, yeah, send me your code if you want to send it to me, or we'll just upgrade you on the on the the line of features we're working on. That's I. This is such a generic looking site, though. I I haven't looked at the site in a while. You you. That's the thing is you have you've seen this website a billion times. For any oh, yeah. software as a service, it looks it it looks exactly the same okay, as so let's, everything. Let's move on a little bit. I think we've I think we've beat that horse dead. I want to beat another horse that's been dead for a while. But I found this article very interesting. Um, so a lot lots come up around the parlor parlors, <laughs> you know, Twitter clone service. And oh my gosh, you guys and, were talking about that last week, and I had no clue what you were talking about for the longest time. Do we have oh, to explain? You know now, though, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you think? Do we have to oh, explain free speech to people, or can we just assume that our our listeners are intelligent enough to understand free, free speech, speech, protected speech, unprotected well, speech, well, and well, corporate speech? We we should probably explain the parlor situation because not everybody might be following that. But parlor is is a, essentially not even essentially parlor is meant to be a Twitter clone. And Parler's big uh, Facebook was, oh, is it a Facebook clone? Yeah, it's a Facebook. It's Either a Facebook way, clone. it's meant to be another social networking thing that they, they promised not to censor people. So their, their whole <laughs> thing was with uh, Twitter, uh, you know, censoring uh, the president at the time and then eventually, you know, booting him from their platform. Facebook did a, a similar thing. A lot of um, people who agree with the thoughts and of, of the president all started flocking to this other service called Parler, which is basically you know a right wing social network system. And we we had the conversation a couple times in the past about 
creating these echo chambers and how dangerous these echo chambers can be because you're no longer getting, you know, multiple sides of an argument. You're just having your opinions amplified to your, to you. And this is, you know, this could be where it sounds fun and sounds good. It can be very dangerous. And I think that, I think what we've seen here in the U.S. recently is a perfect example of that, of, of why this is dangerous. Anyways, a lot, lot happened with Parler. Uh, basically, the app got pulled from all the app stores, um, from Apple and from Google. Uh, and then AWS, who was hosting the service, um, took you know said, hey, you can't host on our platform anymore, and, and basically booted them. So as far as I know, Parlor is like dead in the water. I, I think that, they know, are. that was Parler yeah. basically but, but, said, hey, we're not. But everyone thinks that, not, I shouldn't say everyone. Most people think that this was a fly-by-night decision. Like, we don't like what you're saying. We're going to boot you. From everything mm-hmm. I've read, there was multiple messages sent to Parler saying, you are violating our terms of service by letting people incite violence or or the things that they are saying, you need to change us. Otherwise, we are going to do this. So, oddly enough, I oddly enough, that actually wasn't the biggest issue. Um, they were they were playing with the thin line of the law on what protected speech is and isn't. However, they also did not have moderation in in a significant enough force to stop anything on the website, which includes pornography and sex trafficking which are significantly more uh easily punishable things so the 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 reason i brought this up isn't to to have go into discussion of whether they're right or wrong i think we all agree they're wrong we're all happy they're gone don't really care (laughs) about that the interesting part is that well as it turned out, it was discovered that it was a wordpress site so you know we have that php relationship there and when they were when they were getting ready to go down, a uh, a, a hacker or hacktivist uh, decided, "Hey, you know what? We can download all their data." So they started iterating, and, and we talk. How often do I talk about this? They were they were using uh, you know yeah, incremental uh, IDs, incremental IDs, and not UUIDs. So this hacker, she she uh, her her name her Twitter handle is. Donk EB E N B Y Donk EB NB NB Donk underscore NB and uh she she just started iterating through the data. She didn't hack them, she didn't do anything illegal. Everything she accessed was public API, which they had way too much exposed. They had no authentication (laughs) on their API stuff. (laughs) And a couple of things were discovered, and this is stuff that we've done in the past as well. So they discovered that they were doing soft deletes. So where the users thought that they were being secure and they were deleting messages, deleting plans, deleting pictures, what they hadn't realized is that Parler had implemented soft deletes, which if you're not familiar with with what a soft delete is in, in their industry, you basically just put a flag on, on the item in the database to say, okay, for all intents and purposes, this item's deleted. Don't let the users see this. You do this a lot of times because... Uh, you want the user the ability to recover stuff, for example. But the, the, they had all these soft deletes. So all this data was still there. So she started getting gigabytes and terabytes of data. I think it ended up being like 70 terabytes of data. She didn't do this by herself. She started, she started yeah. finding out some help. And that was but, because she was she was accessing the 
originally uploaded content before it had been processed and compressed or resized. So mm-hmm. this was actually any video or photo with the metadata attached to it, which included the GOIP information. G- GPS, everything. Yeah. So she has all of the, of course, she's sharing it with authorities now, so they're using all this stuff. But it was just like amazing. It's like, oh yeah, you know, had they used UUID, she wouldn't have been able to do that, or it would have been more difficult uh, at, at very least, you know. And the whole soft delete. So it, it was it was funny because I realized um, right before we launched, one of the changes I made in Argus was that we were doing soft deletes on when somebody defined a job. If they deleted the job, we did a soft delete. I'm like, why are we soft deleting this? It's like it's just a it's a simple configuration. If they need it back, they can reconfigure it. And I, I started looking through the code to see where all we were doing soft deletes, and I you know I made some changes, made them hard. Not that that matches anything what Parler's doing, but it, it did, this article did kind of make me think, it's like, okay, when I do implement soft delete, what, what are my criterias around doing a soft delete? And, you know, should you let the user know, it's like, Hey, I won't show you this information anymore. It's deleted, but we're going to hold on to it for a little while. You know, maybe we do a, it, we do a cleanup of soft deletes. It, it depends. It really depends on your data. Like I can see deleting data, but it's still expecting other reports to show historical data. Like mm-hmm. that's did, a good point. Good example. I did X amount of these things, but the data is no longer there. So mm-hmm. if you delete that data, the reports no longer match. It gets, Especially it gets if, tricky. Yeah, relationships, yeah. And, yeah, and to bring up yeah. to bring up event sourcing again, everything's a soft delete in event sourcing. Because delete is that's just right. an event. Right. Yep, that's very true. Very true. With event sourcing, it was even brought up in Discord. GDPR or the right to be forgotten becomes very tricky and possibly problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's been no case study that I know of. There's been nothing that says event sourcing is not the right way to go. Because in, for all intents and purposes, as long as you're replaying all of your events to whatever data store you're using, you're not using that data, but it's still accessible if somebody had access to your event store. Yeah. So one, one of my but, favorite parts of the story is, <clears throat> is that they were using an authentication third-party service, um, but they were using the free trial. And when this third-party service noticed that like Parler was using their free trial to do all of their business, they just said, oh, no, we're not your provider anymore and shut them off. And that was yeah. one of the ways this giant security hole came into being. Uh, actually, that's not true. Uh, well, according to the article that will be in the show notes now, so yes, last week that was one of the the thoughts of it. But uh, in the article that will be in this week's show notes, uh, a representative from Twilio says, "Hey, their security team team did a complete audit. They had no attacks or uh, vector based on the decisions that that were made through. Uh, I think it was Twilio, wasn't it Twilio? Uh, this one wasn't. Out. This one wasn't Twilio. Oh, okay. Well, I I I, I know." And I don't know if it was Twilio in this article. I'm, I'm looking through trying to find it, but yeah, it is Twilio. Yeah, it was Twilio in this art in this uh, article. Uh, one of the thoughts was that the the authentication service they were using through Twilio was to blame for this hack, and they say, hey, uh, with regards to reports of cybersecurity issues with Parler experience and have 
been attributed to Twilio. Our security team investiga- investigated the claims and found no evidence indicating their security issues were related to Twilio or our product. So that's kind of been, I think, busted. Uh, this product was so I, Okta. I, I, O-K-T-A. Okta. Yeah. Okta. Okay. Maybe that maybe it was related to that. I do I do want to move on though before uh we run too much longer. Um I wanted to well, uh damn, I just lost what the hell I wanted to talk about. Son of a bitch. All right. Well um, while you're thinking if, about it, uh, go ahead. Uh, if you're listening to the show, you, you you might hear me mention a lot about uh show notes. If you subscribe to the podcast you, you probably see the show notes in the podcast, but if you watch the video, especially if you watch our live stream, um, lately I've been going back through and adding the same links uh, to the stream. So if you go back to our YouTube channel, you'll see the links in there. Uh, it takes me a day or two. It's after I do the editing and get all the uh, links together for the podcast. I'll go back. Actually, I do YouTube and Twitch now. Um, so if you look at last week's show, all our all our links are in there as well. Uh, if you guys are in. Go I ahead, wanted John. to say, the, the interesting thing about this parlor thing is what it's done to some businesses where the AWS became a single point of failure for the for parlor. Obviously, mm-hmm. they had lots of single points of failure from AWS to Google <laughs> to... to to apple but in general businesses start saying well shit if aws shut them down why won't they shut me down and there's a couple of things there one the things that were on going on on parlor again they were warned previously it wasn't like they just shut them down overnight there was messages to them saying the things you were doing violate our terms of service either correct it or we're going to shut you down second of all i feel a lot of what they were doing was illegal (laughs) Like yes. They were condoning illegal activities. So if you don't have any illegal business, I don't think you have anything to worry about. But it doesn't stop companies from being concerned. And we've had clients come to us saying, are we okay? What do we do? Do we have – what happens if AWS shuts us down? So, of course, we start going through, we have a disaster recovery plan. Here's what we're going to do. And here's what we can do to show you that it works. And my favorite thing is talking to a company that brings up – it's what, two decades old uh, of something that happened. Uh, I don't know if I should share Eric names, but shared a very high profile shutdown where a, a company that supported them was like a fortune 500 company. That Careful John and eggshells. He, 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 he portrayed it as if this fortune 500 company did nothing wrong. All they did was have this client, but no, that Fortune 500 company was partaking in the illegal activities. That's why they are no longer in business too. So I I don't want to go down that. I don't want to go down that road of if you're not doing anything illegal, you have nothing to worry about because that's never true. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we kept trying to redirect it to if Amazon goes away tomorrow, like not if Amazon gets rid of you, you know, in one of the meetings I even happened to say, Listen, if you go down the road, road to Parlor, your biggest concern is who your next development group is going to be because we'll drop you too. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> your biggest concern your biggest concern is who your lawyers are. Yeah. But yeah, we kept we kept trying to because it is a good practice, especially when you talk to clients who don't who want to protect against that. And it's like, yeah, we can do disaster recovery. We can do real time mirroring of the database of of your S three storage. 
but there's going to be a cost incurred for that. And you need to understand that and, you know, start walking them through the plan of, you know, not if Amazon gets rid of you, but if Amazon disappeared tomorrow, because I mean, Amazon has been down before, not a significant enough time to, to warrant having to cut over to another provider. But, you know, there, there's always that possibility where, where that may happen. And, and we, and it wasn't only, it wasn't only AWS. We actually pointed out others, you know, areas of, of concern that we had where, Hey, you know, this is really a single point of failure and this is a single point of failure. So, mm-hmm. and clients are very interested in that until you start talking about cost. And then all of a sudden, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, we'd, we'd be okay for like a, a couple of days, I think. <laughs> Yeah, our, yeah. Our, so what, what I liked what what I liked about when we had that conversation was while they kept looking at the uh, development or the techno the technological aspect of it, they also realized there's way more to it from a managerial perspective in their business, not having nothing mm-hmm. to do with us. But what happens if their bank drops them, or their their legal team drops them, or you know any other service that they are using says we're no longer doing business with you what's what's the next plan what's the backup plan my my fallback has always been hey what is what is slack worth Uh, what are we worth did slack go down for an entire morning last week that's the best case scenario we well, are. That was, that was exactly exactly what the, the one one of the cases we gave them is. What if your email went away tomorrow? Like, what if Google went away and you know couldn't give you your email anymore? Do you have backups of the emails you have on Google? Right. Like, how how big of an impact is that to you? Yeah, and and these things that you know they suck when they go down, like Gishu says, but it happens, and mm-hmm. you know just just don't screw around with illegal stuff. Exactly. That's, like, that's the important takeaway here. <laughs> you know, and, and so AWS removing something from from their hosting is very different than Facebook muting you for saying something stupid. This is yeah. very, very different. And those are all false equivalencies trying to say that they're the same in any way. I'm going back geez, eight years probably now when Fomber was looking, they were moving hosting companies and I was trying to get them to move to AWS. And they had this very concern of what happens if AWS shuts us down. So they opted to buy servers and, and host them themselves. Yeah. Two years later, it oh, goes down move to the cloud. <laughs> no, it, I mean, they plenty of outages in that time, but it was two or three years, two or three years later. And it all of a sudden changed. Nope. We're moving everything yeah. to the cloud and getting rid of the servers. And, and I know, I know, I know, Eric. You don't want to get into it too much here, but I, I have to reiterate here that that Parler's biggest violations of terms of service was pornography and sex trafficking, which is clearly identifiable, is clearly against the terms of service, and is a clear reason to end service or support with any of these providers. Apple and Google's stores do not allow it, and they can look at it and say. That's what we don't allow, and just shut you off. So, so, so where, where they're making it about the right wing piece, it wasn't that really it, at all. It, it was uh, escalated because of that, because of what happened on Wednesday when someone tried to overthrow the government. Um, but they were already under investigation for serious breaches of moderation duties, and they had been contacted by Apple uh, a week before this Wednesday. And told, hey, you need to moderate your content 
a significant portion of it is not allowed on our platform. So it really the the violent the calls for violence the stuff that was picked out in media outlets was not the initial version of uh, a reason why they were being targeted. They were they were targeted because an unmoderated platform being hosted on Apple's App Store is a really stupid idea. And Apple is under no onus to pay for the hosting and bandwidth and management of an app that fundamentally violates their terms of services. Before we go. Well, I had something else, but okay. No, Eric, what else do you have? What do you want right. to talk about? Right. Well, before we go, Thomas, go ahead. I, we're not going to go because I got something else. To, uh, not not a big conversation. It's something I want to put out there. Well, you go first. Okay, fine. Uh, first thing, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm doing this more and more, and, and I'm going to do it again today. Uh, but we had uh, – John and I do another podcast for PHP Architect Magazine, and – we had a conversation today with Chris Tankersley. He, he'll he be the uh, interview this month. Uh, I, I need to get that edited and get it up to uh, the editor-in-chief Oscar on that. But Chris, had we had a fantastic time. First thing, if you don't know who Chris is, uh, you, you want to follow him on uh, Twitter. Uh, great guy. Uh, fantastic. And he actually kind of struck a chord with me today, which I, I'm really starting to evaluate myself because, um, well, oddly enough, the position he's in now, he's managing a bunch of different languages. Um, but he had said something that to me in our interview about how PHP really kind of does everything he needs for everything he does. And I, I'm one of those guys, or I, I've been saying for years that, you know, coding is like tools, right? There's the right, tool for the right job and I always felt that with coding so whenever i did like command line scripts and stuff i would always hack something together in in python or sometimes i would use other other languages uh i rarely went to php for long-running processes or for for just kind of you know behind the scenes sort of scripts and i realized after talking to chris today i'm like why do i do that it's like php is so much better now and it has so many packages for so many things. It's like, why? I need to stop doing that. So recently I had written a Python script to generate these reports from Stand Up Alice, which I know you love, Thomas, Stand Up Alice. And I use this information to, to run our company's uh, meetings, uh, our weekly get-togethers with the, with the team. And I had written it in, in, in Python. And uh, recently Stand Up Alice made some changes to the reports and I had to go in there and, and tweak the code. And I noticed when they made those changes, they now have a JSON version of the reports. So I'm like, well, shit, I love my CouchDB. I could just grab this JSON version, toss it in CouchDB, and run my reports from there. That would be awesome. So I started looking at, you know, Couch and Python. I'm like, and then I, after talking to Chris today, I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, I can do it in PHP. I know how to do it in PHP. I'll do it in PHP. So, uh, so take it, you know, look for that, um, to come out here, uh, next week or so. Chris Tankersley, uh, with over at PHP Architect, if you don't subscribe to that podcast. But more importantly, I want to put it out there on the ether. You guys can make fun of me, but this has been paying off for me 
so many times. So many people know so many other people and are so much smarter than I am. It's absolutely insane. So last last week, I talked specifically about David Recordin, uh, who is an open source guy who's now on Biden's uh, Biden's cabinet or Biden's staff or whatever. He He's named the White House Director of Technology. Yes. If anybody knows or has any avenue of communicating with David, I've been trying to reach out to him through Facebook, through Twitter. Obviously, he's not responding to me. If you, anybody can put me in touch with him, I would love to do a community corner interview with him for PHP Architect. I think it would be huge. He has some some connections to PHP. He's an open source open source guy. I I, I just think it would be really cool to, to talk to him. If anybody out there listening knows of a way to get in touch with him and can hook us up, I would be forever grateful. I'll give you a 45-day free trial to Argus.to, <laughs> and I might even send you a free lanyard. I would love to talk to this guy. I mean, I don't physically have to talk to him. We can do the interview over over you know email or, or whatever he wants to do. But I'd love to ask him some questions and, and do a community corner piece with him. I'm putting it out there. David Recordin, uh, the new White House Director of Technology. If anybody can get, put me in touch with him or put him in touch with me, I would totally be indebted to you. Okay. What did you have, Thomas? Uh, I forgot I have two things. One of them is time sensitive, so I'm going to put it out real quick. Uh, there is a security update for Laravel 6, 7, and 8. So please make sure that you've updated your security patch levels for your LTS and your latest versions. The bad news... I was outbid on your Christmas present, Eric. I didn't know there was a there was <laughs> there a Christmas was, present. There was a there was a slight bi- there was a slight bidding war. Um, a nine point four grade issue of Batman number one. Unfortunately, I got outbid at two point two million dollars. Come on, Thomas, you got to step it up. Really, that's it. To his, really, to, to his credit, he he did put in a two point one eight three billion or million dollar bid. Yeah. I, I did I did stake the house on it and you, uh, someone did, came in and did you and, look at Patreon? Do we have any money in Patreon? <laughs> use, we tried to, tried to empty it out. It's, it's, it's asking for a two FA key now, so I can't get in. Um, maybe <laughs> that maybe that would have been maybe that would have been the the boost that we needed, but no, unfortunately, this this near mint condition uh, issue of Batman number one. Just out of my reach at two point two million. Just, just a little, a little too much. You know, yeah. here's the, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a secret. Okay, here's my thing with Batman. If you if you don't know, I'm a huge Batman fan. You should see all the Batman stuff I have, and I'm very weird about it. Uh, so like, typically people always buy me Batman things because they know I like Batman, and I will always keep one mint new in box, and then I'll play with whatever the second one is. Uh, by the way, a lot's happening in the DC universe with Batman. If if you are a fan, a lot of cool things are happening. You guys should catch up. Comic books has always been one of those exceptions. So even when I was a kid back in middle school and somebody introduced me to comic book collecting and I'm like, wait a minute, you can collect comic books, hold on to them and they'll, you know, get more valuable. I never collected Batman comics because I knew I would never be able to just keep them in a bag set aside. No, all they, the, they get the sticky Bat- way too fast. The few Batman comics I have are meant for reading. I could never be a collector of Batman comics for that very reason. I could not 
not read them. I could not not look at them. So you did yourself a favor. It would have been a total disaster if you had gotten that for me because <laughs> I would have totally read it. Uh, but thank you, thank you for the thought. I, I do appreciate it. You know, I I, I did send you the, the little stream deck, so maybe I would have expected maybe a Batman comic that would have been nice. But um, you know, hey, whatever. Working on if, it. If two point one million dollars is just too much for you, okay, fine. I, I know where our friendship uh, line. No, two point one wasn't too much. He, he no, yeah, that's that was. I, I put that bid in two point one million. <laughs> it, it went for two point two, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I get it. (laughs) But I get to keep my liver, so. (laughs) Thank you to all of our Patreons. You guys make this possible and entertaining. Thank you to everyone on the Discord. You guys are are always the best to talk to, and we love interacting with you on the stream and everything. Um, You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash that like and subscribe. Uh, Please stop saying that. Those buttons. (laughs) Don't judge us by our thumbnails, apparently. (laughs) Oh God, we need to go into that. No, yeah, not going into that. We need to wrap it up. Let's wrap this up. Uh, sneak preview next week. I will be talking about fibers, the RFC for asynchronous behavior in PHP or synchronous behavior in PHP. Ooh. So we'll get into that interesting little topic. Um, but for now, I'm Tom Rideout. I'm Eric Johnson. That was a great closing. I'm John Congdon. Keep, Keep it ugly. One, two, one, two, uh, coming off the top, y'all know how we do, listen, I'ma drop a freestyle you can cherish, I'ma send a shout out to the host named Eric, yo, he's never on some average shit, you know, Eric, he stays loud and passionate, I'm about to break it down for y'all with the clever song, yo, shout the host name Thomas, cause he's never wrong, yo, shout to John, you know that he's smart and quiet, unlike my freestyles, which cause a riot, I'm about to do it like this, cause the people love me, shouts out to people. PHP, the ugly, it's called ugly cause it's not professional, but I'm about to come through and bless it with style, so let's do it when I'm spitting, I perfume the room, yo, the segment of the show is called doom and gloom, that came from Thomas, yeah, can nobody go beyond this, I get the mic and then I'm about to keep it like a promise, yeah, and y'all know we fill them up with anguish, we talking about the PHP, the programming language, about to break it down, no exaggeration, what do y'all do for a living web applications, okay, I I can dig it, my words spray tight, uh, they getting together on the Thursday nights, yeah, when it comes to rhyming, you can call me the new dude, I spew true lyrics while y'all broadcast on YouTube, so let's get it, you know my lyrics are major, all up in the comments, they got plenty of haters, but they doing what they doing, keep it ugly, we ending every show with the saying it's lovely, let's go, yeah, come on.